We're in Zechariah 3, 1 to 10, the fourth vision. And in this vision, Joshua the high priest is a symbol of Christ, the branch. Verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a symbol. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Amen. We have come to this vision where Joshua the high priest is a symbol and a representation of the coming Christ, who is called Branch in verse 8. In verse 1, this Joshua the high priest is the same Joshua the high priest as mentioned in the books of Ezra and Haggai. If we turn back a page or two in our Bibles to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, it mentions the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, and it mentions Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. And this is Joshua, the same Joshua, the high priest. Haggai, Zechariah were contemporaries, and so this high priest is in the vision, in the vision of the prophet Zechariah. And he's standing, Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is the uncreated angel, the uncreated messenger of the Lord. The word angel comes from a basic meaning of messenger. It means messenger, whether Old or New Testament, that's what it means. And that messenger could be from heaven. It could be a created angel, which there are numerous of them, or the uncreated angel or messenger of the Lord, who is one and only Jesus Christ. On the earth, it could refer to prophets, priests, and kings who are, or ambassadors of kings who are called messengers or angels. An example of Christ being called 
uh, messenger is in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, where he is called an apostle, the apostle. Hebrews 3, 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's called an apostle. The root meaning of the word apostle is to be sent, a sent one, a person who is sent. So the apostles were sent by Christ to preach. They were commissioned by Christ. Well, God the Father commissioned Christ to come into the world, which is very profusely mentioned in the book of John. Christ says numerous times, the Father sent me, he sent me as his messenger. So in the same way, this is how we take the the angel of the Lord. And in this context, in verse 2, this angel of the Lord is also the Lord in verse 2, where it says, and the Lord said to Satan. The angel of the Lord is then called in verse 2, the Lord. That is the word Yahweh Jehovah. Verse 2. That's how we know it is Christ. And this angel is uncreated. He possesses deity. He's called angel only because he's a messenger. But he's the heavenly uncreated messenger. Now also, it says, Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Satan is standing at the right hand of Joshua the high priest to accuse him. Satan. A note on the word Satan. In your margins or footnotes, you may have an alternative reading that says, or the adversary or accuser. Adversary or accuser. Whether it has the definite article or not. The. Or the indefinite article. An accuser. An adversary. Either way, that alternate reading can be misleading. And the reason... Well, in the NASB, it has a capital A for each one. So it's referring to a proper name which would be the proper name of Satan. So it's not entirely misleading. However, the commentators, the unbelieving, wicked commentators of the Old Testament, they think that there is no Satan in the Old Testament. And therefore, they render this an adversary, an accuser. They say there is no Satan in the Old Testament. Yes, Satan is mentioned in Job 1, 6 to 18. He's mentioned in Job 2, 1 to 10. He's mentioned in 1 Chronicles 21, 1. And at least in Genesis 3, verse 1, he's called the serpent. And these terms are put together, the various names of Satan are put together in Revelation Chapter 12, verse 9, and 20, verse 2. Let's read from 20, verse 2, which says, And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
Well, those commentators, interpreters, so-called scholars, they say there is no Satan in the Old Testament, and the idea of Satan was developing in the New Testament, and it was not confirmed until the book of Revelation and after the New Testament. In the book of Revelation and after the New Testament, that's when we now know, they say, Christians believed in a personal Satan, the arch enemy of the human soul. But before that time, there was no concrete, definitive, absolute view of Satan. That's how their argument goes. However, their argument is fallacious for many reasons. And one is, they say, well, whenever the definite article, the, in the Hebrew language, is put before the noun, it's not referring to a specific person or a proper name. Well, if that's the case, then why say the devil? The devil. If we say the devil, we put the definite article, but we're not talking about any person or anything. We're talking about the supreme enemy of the human soul. We're talking about the prince of the demons, the ruler of the demons. So just having the definite article does not eliminate the possibility that the noun refers to a personal being, whether human or angelic. It doesn't mean that. And besides, in 1 Chronicles 21.1, it is without the definite article in the Hebrew language. In 1 Chronicles 21.1, where it mentions Satan, who stood up against Israel. Well, there are many other things we could say about their arguments, but they're all speculative and unbelieving. They're false. Those who deny Satan belong to Satan, according to the Bible, John 8, 44. And so, let's move on. He is at the right hand of Joshua to accuse him. This is presenting a court case as though in the court, Satan is a witness or a prosecutor, an accuser, an adversary in court against Joshua. Because Satan knows Joshua's sins. So he is in court accusing Joshua of sins, saying he is worthy of death. He should die. And Satan is very gleeful to accuse. He's grinning to accuse. He's very joyful in his accusations. He wants to be an adversary which is also noted in 1 Peter 5.8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8. That's what's happening right here in Joshua, or Zechariah 3.1 with Joshua the high priest, Satan against him. However, the Lord will not have it. It says in verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. This would be the son calling upon the father to rebuke Satan. The son who depends on the father's will, he calls on the father to rebuke Satan. Which is not the first time or the only time, I should say, 
that the Lord Jesus has rebuked Satan. When he was tempted in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 8 to 11, he rebuked Satan. Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Further, we find Matthew 16, 21 to 23. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. We have another occasion of rebuking, not by Christ, but by Michael the archangel in Jude. Jude verse 9. Jude 9. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Which quote is taken from Zechariah 3.2. Jude 9 and Zechariah 3.2. Well, the point is that the Lord Jesus and Michael the archangel Though they are very high in rank, and even Christ possesses deity, the Father has a higher rank, and the Father's authority is called upon. Not human authority, not angelic authority, but God the Father's authority is called upon to rebuke, confront Satan. And that's what happens in Zechariah 3.2. And so who is this Lord? Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. A further description of the Lord. This is the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. Choosing Jerusalem is choosing the people of Jerusalem. As it it is said in 2.12, And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. As well in 117, again proclaim saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. This is a reference to God choosing electively in predestination, his people. And whomever he chooses, he protects. And he protects against Satan. Romans 16, 20, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
Romans 16.20. Also, where it says he chooses or has chosen Jerusalem, he's not talking about the actual boundaries of a city. He's not talking about the walls, the buildings. He's not talking about the palace. He's not talking about the capital. He's not talking about the roads. He's talking about the people. A quick reference to how the word Jerusalem sometimes in the scripture means the people of Jerusalem. And in this case, the beloved Jerusalem, the elect chosen Jerusalem. Matthew 3, 5. Matthew 3, 5, it says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And verse 6 and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. The people are in view in Matthew 3, 5, and 6, even though he simply says Jerusalem. He means the people. But in the case of Zechariah, he's talking about the beloved Jerusalem, not just all the inhabitants of Jerusalem at any given point or throughout history, but the beloved redeemed people of God whom he names Jerusalem. That's what he means here. And who is Joshua? And who is Jerusalem? Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? A brand plucked from the fire means that that brand does not get consumed by the fire. God spares his people from ultimate consumption, ultimate destruction, ultimate extinction. Joshua's that way, but also the people of God, the redeemed people of God, are like a brand plucked out of the fire. Verse 3, 3 to 4, or 3 to 5 go together, especially 3 to 4 in terms of filthiness, and then verse 5 in terms of cleanness. 3 to 4. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. Joshua has filthy garments on him. Why in the vision, filthy garments? And it's also standing before the angel of the Lord. That's not a good combination. Because the angel of the Lord is holy and pure. So why is Joshua with the filthy garments? Because it's showing the contrast between righteousness and wickedness, cleanness and <coughs> filthiness. Verse 4, And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, The he, likely in verse 4, is the angel of the Lord or Christ. Verse 4, And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Those standing there with Joshua the priest, Christ commands them to remove the filthy garments. <clears throat> the servants of Christ do the work of Christ. And what does that represent? Verse 4 explains Again, he said to him, He, Christ, said to Joshua, See, I he doesn't say the Lord. He says, I. See, I have taken your iniquity away from you. I have taken it away. 
and will clothe you with festal robes. Christ is the one who takes away iniquity. We will see in verse 9 that he does it in one day. Christ is the one who takes away our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 That's the experience of Joshua. Showing... <laughs> that Satan's <clears throat> tactics, Satan's schemes do not prevail. The will of Christ prevails to <clears throat> cleanse him, to cleanse Joshua of his sins. But after, well, before we pr- proceed on this point, verses 3 and 4, the cleansing of sin. Shall we see that we are filthy. The first example of our filthiness is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4. Isaiah 4, 4. We, we may start at verse 2. Let's start at verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst, by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory will be a canopy, and there will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day, and a refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. In verse 4, what does God do? He washes away the filth of the daughters of Zion. He purges the bloodshed of Jerusalem. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. There are filthiness, and even our righteous deeds are filthy. People think only our wicked deeds are filthy, but our righteous deeds are filthy before our conversion, before Christ. God takes no delight in our works of righteousness. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, 
but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 4, and 5. Well, what does it look like to be filthy and then cleansed? First, to be filthy and then cleansed. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. But you were washed. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Also, Ephesians five twenty-five to 27. Ephesians five twenty-five. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Christ cleansed her, washed, washing of water with the word. He cleansed and washed the church, so that there is no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It also said, keep your fingers there in the New Testament, but it also said in Zechariah that he will, or I will clothe you with festal robes. Festal robes. Are festal robes when the participants are entering the feast. Are the festal robes typically dirty? No. They're clean. They're bright. They are very presentable. Okay, well, let's go to Revelation. Revelation 3, 3 to 4. Revelation 3, 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep, keep it, and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, 
and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Chapter 6, Revelation 6, 9, 9 to 11. 6, 9 to 11. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should be completed also. We also notice in verse 11, it says, there was given to each of them a a white robe. The white robe was given to them. It's a gift. Further, chapter 7, Revelation 7, 7, 7-9 to 17. 7-9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out, And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, Who are they, and from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them to springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And one more, Revelation nineteen seven to 10 Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold 
the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is why, as we're studying Zechariah, we find that Christ is here and there and everywhere because he is the center of prophecy. He is the reason, the spirit of prophecy. Uh, one more point to make in, well, two more points. In verse 5, Zechariah 3, 5. Then I said, and the I is probably Zechariah. Let them put a clean turban on his head. Because Zechariah knows there should be a clean turban on his head. And the clean turban represents something. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. The angel of the Lord stands by to make sure that it happens according to the commandments. He's making sure and observing that his will is carried out. On the matter of the clean turban, the turban and what it has. Exodus 28, 36. Exodus 28, 36 to 39. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of a seal, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on a blue cord and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban, and it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And you shall weave the tunic of checkered work of fine linen, and shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash the work of a weaver. This clean turban represents the fact that the priest himself is holy to the Lord. He is set apart or sanctified to the Lord to do the Lord's work. So he, with his garments, represents what he should be in his heart. Whatever is on his body is representative of what should be on his heart. He should be clean. And this is what has happened in verses 1 to 5. He has been cleansed. But also, we're looking to the future, verses 6 to 10. He has been cleansed, but there's an admonishment here. Verse 6, And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. This means that Christ is admonishing Joshua by quoting God the Father. We have to keep that in mind that God the Father is now the speaker in verses 7 to 10. God the Father, the speaker. And the Son is quoting God the Father, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. With a warning. The priests with a warning. And we'll see why the priests need a warning. 
priests, prophets, kings, everybody, the people, common people, everybody needs a warning. Verse 7, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house, and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. We have if then. If then, the if includes walking in the ways of the Lord, performing the Lord's service. Then if that's happening, God will permit one to govern his house, have charge of his courts, and free access among the people. If then. It has not always been if, I mean, it has not always been fulfilled for the then to take place. The if is the warning, then is the blessing if the if part is carried out, if it's executed properly. But it was not always executed properly. We will note some examples in the Old Testament and then see that even in the New, it should be this way. Leviticus 10, 1 to 11. Leviticus 10, 1 to 11. We'll read one Starting at verse 1, Leviticus 10, 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Not commanded them. Which means they're not walking in the ways of God, not performing his service the way he told them to perform. Therefore, what happens? Verse 2, And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Then, when the bodies are removed, after that, verse 6, Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, these are the two remaining sons, Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, so that you may not die, and that he may not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of God. Of Moses. Verse 8. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you may not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Their death became a lesson and a warning for subsequent generations to take heed. Moses and Aaron 
were not immune to this admonishment. Numbers 20 shows that they failed. Numbers 22 to 13. Numbers 22, 20 verse 2 to verse 13. And there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? And why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us to, into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the, the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth, for you, uh, bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. First Samuel 12, verse 3. First Samuel 12, 3. Samuel before the people. Let's begin here at verse 1, 12, 1 to 3. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. And now, here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And four, and they said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. Samuel was faithful before the people. In the New Testament, this is the way it should be also. In the New Testament. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 20. 20, 33, 33 to 34. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. 
he did not practice covetousness. He did not covet the goods of others. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 7. Hebrews 12, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. So, godliness, righteousness, is also a ministerial requirement of today. Now, chapter 3, verse 8, Zechariah 3, 8 says, Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. These are likely the ones he mentioned earlier when he said those who were with him. Verse 4. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, his friends, his co-workers. It says, Indeed, they are men who are a symbol. The workers, the priest and his workers are a symbol. A symbol of what? We've been describing symbolism, but the fulfillment of the symbolism is Christ himself. It says, For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. My servant, the branch. The B of branch may be capitalized in your Bible, showing that these editors of the English Bible believe it is Christ. He is this branch. This term branch appears in several places in Isaiah and Jeremiah, and also now here in Zechariah. To look at a few references, let's go to Isaiah Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2 to show that this is Christ. And we'll see this. Isaiah 4, 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. The branch of the Lord. Chapter 11, Isaiah 11. 11 verses 1 and we'll read 1 and 
1 to 5. Isaiah 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Who is this shoot or branch? Verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Verse 10, Isaiah 11:10. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 1 to 3. Isaiah 53, 1 to 3. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. This tender shoot and root is Christ in Isaiah 53. Also, in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch. Now we know he's of the line of David. He is a righteous branch of the line of David. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The branch of David is called the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh our righteousness. Jeremiah 30 verse 9. Jeremiah 30 verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Who is this David their king? Is it King David or is it the righteous branch of David? He already said in chapter 23, he was going to raise up for David a righteous branch. Then 33, Jeremiah 33, 33, 14 to 18. Jeremiah 33, 14 to 18. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. And he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah shall be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. 
and this is the name by which he, uh, by which he shall be called, the name of the city. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priests shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. The righteous branch of David. That means the, the royal throne and the priestly throne, both thrones, will not be lacking. Both will not be lacking. Also, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, 20 to 24. Ezekiel 34, 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be prey, be a prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, he will feed them himself, and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Also, chapter 37, Ezekiel 37, 24 to 28. Ezekiel 37, 24. And my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. And they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they sh- shall live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David my servant shall be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Also, Hosea chapter 3, Hosea 3, verse 5. Hosea 3, 5. Afterward, the sons of Israel will, will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Remember that by the time of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea, David has died and he has been buried. He did not rise from the dead at all. Not David the man himself, not David the patriarch, but this is the righteous branch of David. All right, now in Zechariah 3, Verse 9, not only is the righteous branch of David prophesied here, that God is going to bring him into the world, 
But it's also said in verse 9, For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. The stone. Is this stone a representation of the stone? Christ? Christ is called the stone of Israel in Genesis 49, 24. He is called the stone of stumbling and rock of offense. Isaiah 8, 13 to 15. And he's also said to be the stone or the stone that God lays in Zion. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Isaiah 28, 16. And whoever the stone is, it has to be deity because in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 29, he says, Isaiah 30, 29, You will have songs as in the night when you keep the festival and gladness of heart as when one marches to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. The Lord is called the rock of Israel. Isaiah 30, 29. In Revelation, well, first Zechariah. Zechariah 4.10, it does say what these eyes represent. Zechariah 4.10, For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. The seven eyes are representative of the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. This is just like it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. But specifically, Revelation 5, 6 assigns these eyes to Christ. Revelation 5, 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Seven is a number for completeness or perfection. And in this way, it's representative of the fact that Christ the same in Zechariah 3.9, 4.10, and now here, Revelation 5.6, that Christ has omniscience. He knows what's happening throughout the whole earth. He's not asleep. His eyes are open and he is active. He says he'll engrave an inscription on it. An inscription on the stone 
it says in Revelation 2.17, Revelation 2.17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Our new name written on the stone. Further in Zechariah 3 9, he says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In one day. How will he remove the iniquity of the people? Remember, land is put for people. The land is there as a metaphor of the people. So how will he remove the iniquity of the chosen people, chosen Jerusalem, elect Jerusalem in one day? Hebrews 7, Hebrews seven twenty six to 28. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself, once for all. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son, made perfect forever. Hebrews 10 1 to 18, Hebrews 10, 1 to 18, this point is reiterated several times. Verse 1, he says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices, year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins, year by year. Verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And verse, verses 17 and 18. 17. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So when he takes away the iniquity of the land in one day, it's alluding to the one solitary, exclusive payment for our sins by Christ's death on the cross. And as a result of the death of Christ, verse 10, In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Sitting under the vine or fig tree 
symbolizes peace and prosperity. And in this case, permanent peace and prosperity. In 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. In the reign of Solomon, which was a peaceful reign, there was no war for 40 years. 1 Kings 4, 25. So Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his fig tree. From Dan even to Beersheba all the days of Solomon. It's a symbol of being able to sit outside, enjoy the weather, sit in the shade, enjoy the air, enjoy nature, enjoy your people, enjoy your friends, relax in safety with no one to torment you, no one to molest you. That's the result of the work of Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.